Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on The Current. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Donnie Colston, the Director of the Utilities Department at the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about the labor, particularly the IBW perspective, when it comes to dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. So, Donnie, I'm going to turn to you on this. The electric industry line workers are truly at the front line during the COVID crisis. What are some of the changes that IBW members have had to make to do their job under these difficult circumstances? So, Brad, you know, you're exactly right. You know, not only our members, but your companies both are at the forefront providing essential services to the public and a large number of businesses. And it's important for our locals to reach out to utilities and have this conversation. This is what we have encouraged all across the United States and Canada for all of our locals to have this conversation with their business partners in the utility industry. That conversation is always about, you know, how how do we provide the essential services safely and how do we provide it for our own workers, but for the general public during the COVID-19? Our members are highly skilled workers and job safety is primary focus of our industry. And uh, when we look at that, we are very trained industry for personal protection, whether it be rubber gloves, whether it be sleeves, whether it be hard hats, whether it be lockout, tagout procedures. It's all about safety and being able to perform the work in a safe manner. So this gives us a whole new sense of change when you talk about PPE now, because it's not the PPE our workers are used to. It's a PP of essentially washing your hand, having a face mask on, of distancing yourself from your fellow workers, keeping a primary crew. You know, that type of PPE is now the discussion. So PPE availability has been the main conversation. Our whole conversation has been about, you know, how do we get the least amount of employees into a specific area, like one person per truck? like remote port reporting, like in dispatch, we completely had two different dispatch centers. So those type of areas, uh, staggered shifts has been a huge discussion for all of us. Social distancing of all of our crews and sequestration of our power plant operators and our other workers inside those power plants, especially in areas that's been hit the hardest with COVID-19. Those are all part of the discussion. And keeping in mind, it's only essential work that we want to be performing during this crisis period of time. So having that discussion with management about what is essential, how do we keep the power on, how do we keep the gas on, and how do we provide an essential service to the customer? So, you know, we have to address, you know, who can work? Can they work from home? Can they not work from home? Can they work from a different location coming let's say, reporting to a different location. One thing that I know you and I have talked about a little bit offline, and it's come up 
the president of IBW International, Lonnie Stevenson, joined the president of EEI right before the 4th of July holiday weekend and sending a letter out to all members just talking about not just the import of wearing face coverings when they're on the job and required to do it, but also on the weekends, because this is becoming something of a hot button political issue. And frankly, I feel for line crews that are out there in the heat of the summer, 100 degree temperatures down in the South right now, and having to wear this PPE while they're walking around outside in flame retardant clothing that's already super hot and overbearing. Are you hearing from your members on face covering issues in particular? So, you know, when we started off, you know, none of us had face coverings. Now, a number of the power plants did have face coverings and such of that nature. But when we started off, we didn't. So it was a big change for our outside workers to adjust to wearing a face mask. And that's where the questions from our members come up, as when you talk about the FR, because all of our workers have to wear long sleeves, their FR clothing, FR pants. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. FR, flame resistant, fire resistant. There we go, flame retardant. Thank you. You know, one of the other challenges is that, you know, is it safe to wear a face mask when you're within two foot one inch of high voltage? Is that a safe piece of equipment that you should be using? Or should we be focusing on a FR type of face mask or a face shield, something of that nature? The face shield has been discussed a lot on our calls with all of our locals, as in at least that allows the workers to get a breath of fresh air inside of their hard hat and the face shield while they're working. So that's been a huge discussion of when to wear it, why do I need to wear it, how do I distance myself? at that time, and making sure that not only am I keeping myself safe, but more important, I'm keeping everybody safe around me. What are your members worried about as it relates to COVID? You know, what are the things that are on their minds that we should all be aware of and trying to see what we can mitigate against in the future? You know, the IBW represents around 90% of the investor-owned utilities. That's a large conversation from Florida to Canada from New York to California. So, you know, we take a lot of pride in the in the services that we provide, not only to the utility, the trainings, the skills that we have, and the services that we provide to the customer. And PPE is a normal condition for our workers. And whether or not that's available during the COVID crisis was a big discussion because early on, as you remember, it was very hard to get the PPE. So how do we work through those discussions about separating our workers, limiting the number of people in a truck, limiting the number of people that congregate together, stagger when they pick up material, don't pick up material, make sure that those crews always work together in specific forms, don't mix the crews up. Interaction with the public is a huge discussion, as in, you know, how do we keep not only ourselves safe, but safe from the public itself? And how do we have a safe work site is a better way to say it. If I'm doing non-essential work, that's not necessary that we do right now. That was a huge discussion for our workers is how do you decide what's essential? How do you decide what's non-essential? And How do I work with my employer to define what that is? And not only that is, is to talk about, you know, the health of your co-workers, to understand that if you're sick, please don't come to work. 
it doesn't matter that you don't want to wear a mask. What matters is that we're both safe and that we're both being able to perform the work that we need to perform and we needed to be doing it safely. So it's, it is to look out after your brother because you are your brother's keeper. You know, we talk about all the process changes that we have to make. We talk about one person per truck as opposed to two, all this additional PPE that we're acquiring. Like all that stuff certainly has costs associated with it. And we don't think twice about it because it's what we got to do to keep people safe. When you talk about the cost, so we've been having that discussion with our locals recently is that, you know, now is the time when the, when the utilities are asking the commissions that, we need to be able to pass that cost on, and we're encouraging our locals to be up front with the utility regulators as in this is essential. We need this cost to be passed on so that we can maintain a safe workplace within our industry and that with the services that we provide to the customers. All right, let's talk about mutual assistance. At the time of recording, we're in the midst of storm season. I know mutual assistance is something you know quite a bit about. As we think about mutual assistance, can you tell us a little bit, you know, what has changed for line crews who deployed across state lines to deal with widespread outage events like storms? Like what has changed in COVID-19? How is that world and that operation different? So as you know, being in this industry, there's a lot of preparation to pull the workers together, the vehicles together, equipment together to be able to provide aid to sister utilities or utilities that may be states away. And there is a process that has to be talked about because you have to work with each state as you cross their state lines on regulations, state regulations as you're going through their state. So you have to be cognizant, is that a state that's a high COVID-19 area? Is that a state that we need to be having a discussion about as in how do we maintain a safe environment as we're going through that state? There's a lot of preparation that goes into sending crews to assist other crews. And how do we isolate? So we keep the crews together. We lodge them separately. We make sure that they work together all of the time and away from the vast amount of other crews and we maintain crew consistency that I was talking about. But the availability of additional PPE becomes a big issue when you're working in mutual assistance. And all of that has a huge cost. It's good that people are thinking through some of these problems. We did an earlier podcast with Energy about the Easter storms, and they kind of walked us through the logistics. And I know one of the things that we talked about is the tailgate talks you would typically do, right? These meetings at the beginning of the day where everybody kind of get together and, and go over your operations for the day. It's not happening in this environment. We're not able to conduct that business the same way that we had in the past. It's just a lot of stuff to keep in your head, right? You think about the dangerous environment and the dangerous equipment that our linemen are out there interfacing with, and we put all this stuff on top of it. Well, let's pivot a little bit to the federal legislation. You know, you're in the Washington, D.C. area paying attention to whatever the Congress is going to do as they try to come up with some funding mechanisms and solutions in this COVID package. I guess the HEROES package is what we're on now. What are some of the important parts of that legislation to the IBW? 
So when you think about the COVID legislation, you know, the current negotiations is all focused around unemployment insurance. But there's a lot more to it than that. You know, the good thing for the IBEW is, is that most of our members are still working, but not all of them. We represent 15,000 government workers. Now, how many of them are still working? We don't know exactly. Even though we have 775,000 members, over 500,000 of them get their income from the industry, the energy industry, meaning that most of our members are working and they're participating. So unemployment is a big issue. It affects a small portion of the IBW's membership. You know, the largest issue for the IBW in the COVID discussions is the multi-employer pension plan. And our pension plan just happens to be well-funded. But that's not necessarily the case for a handful of unions whose pensions are in trouble. So the House plan would allow pension fund trustees to convert the defined contribution convert them to a defined contribution plan. Now, that would not be in the best interest of our plans because we are well-funded and we don't want to have to impose upon all of our members to fund the other pension plans that didn't do as good a job. So that discussion is taking place. And in most labor unions oppose that, being able to move a defined pension plan into a pension plan, a multi-employer pension plan, into the contribution plans. So that, along with the COBRA health insurance benefits, uh, as most of you know, the, those that COBRA kicks in once you've left and you're laid off, you have the ability to continue to maintain your health insurance, but you have to pay for it yourself. The average is about $7,200 for an individual year. Well, that's a lot of money if you're laid off. And not only that, the vast majority of our members are families. So that means it's $20,500 is the average that you would be paying to participate in the COBRA health insurance plan. So we having that discussion with Congress is that we need some relief from those workers in those health insurance plans. We've been discussing the impact of the retention tax credit. That's a big issue for the companies and also our workers. You know, how can the refundable tax credit of 50% up to $10,000 in wages paid by the employer? How do we expand it? We've been having a large discussion on the Mortium utility shutoffs because that directly impacts our members. If the utilities do not have the ability to discuss and work out payment plans with companies and individuals, then clearly they're not going to be able to meet payroll. And that means a large number of our members would not have a job. So we have said the utilities should be able to continue to negotiate with customers to pay their bills. The good thing is, is the utilities had voluntarily quit shutting off and are working with the customers to help them. The IBW opposes any liability shield, as does the AFL-CIO, for employers who did not even make an attempt to protect their workers. So to say that tort reform would say that you wouldn't be able to hold the bad employers accountable for their actions is not what the IBEW is about. They should be held accountable for their actions. And the good players continue to be good employers, and the bad players should be held accountable. 
Yeah, sounds like you got a full plate. I mean, this piece of legislation has certainly got a lot more to it than unemployment insurance. Well, I want to pivot to the future. What do you foresee as some of the permanent changes that IBW members and the industry will be making as a result of this crisis and some of the new ways we're doing business in this environment? So I think we definitely see that there are changes that's going to take place. There's a lot of jobs within the industry that we didn't think that you could do at all. Customer service is one of those jobs. The total cleaning of all of the facilities, I think, is going to stay. Donnie, well, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us a bit of how IBW members are responding to the COVID-19 crisis and explaining more of the precautions and challenges that they're facing. I really appreciate you taking time to share your story with us. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights about the intersection of energy policy and COVID-19. To learn more about the electric industry's response to COVID-19, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.